Hello, everyone out there in Lasso land. This is Peanut Butter and Biscuits, your Ted Lasso fan cast for NPR Illinois Community Voices and for the Front Row Network. I'm your host today, Craig, joined by my co-host, Mr. Jeremy Geckner. How are you, sir? What it is, everyone? Ted Lasso, Season 3, Episode 4. Like uh, us last week, this episode is a big week. I'm just saying. <laughs> wow, I like the dad joke there. You know, we are a third of the way through Ted Lasso. No, don't say that. <laughs> It's very terrifying for what is going to be lying ahead for our characters. But something that is not terrifying is our other host that's joining us this week, and that's a guest co-host. It's Mr. Brandon Davis from Front Row Classics. We thought, you know, Max was talking about classic films so much last week when we interviewed him that if Zaba loves classic film, we know that there's a lot of Lasso people out there that love classic film. Right, Brandon? Absolutely. Yes. Well, they we are a, a big army. <laughs> the, cla- the classic <laughs> film army yes <laughs> going by the no. day but, and of course our loyal listeners will remember brandon because of course he came on during our season one recap episode three trent crim the independent which happens to be brandon's favorite episode if i remember what, correctly what right? a memory yes Craig. it was yes it was obviously a memorable appearance yes what a memory you have there sir i i, I don't know if i would have remembered that but of course being your favorite episode it is great because it's the one that made me fall in love with the show so just yes yes jeremy and i for once agreed on something yes it doesn't happen often um (laughs) brandon why don't you tell everybody about your show but also you have a really fun experience going on here next week that you want to promote as well yeah uh yeah front row classics i host uh i release an episode almost every week not not quite but but, uh, at least three episodes a month and most of the time it's me and a couple guests talking about a great movie from the 20s through the 70s we've kind of creeped into the 80s recently um but also i get to interview some really cool people every once in a while and uh, that's always fun so check out some of our back catalog you'll hear me talk to people like patricia ward kelly and lucy Mm -hmm. arnez and Todd Fisher and Ben Mankiewicz and Eddie Muller. It's really, really fun. But actually, from the time of this recording in about a week, I will be in Los Angeles um, attending the uh, Turner Classic Movies Film Festival. Um, And so that is a very exciting, um, just a very exciting thought that I will be there in just another week or so. So um, I'll get to meet a lot of fun people. I'll get to meet probably about four or five former podcast guests. I've already got coffee dates with two of them. Yes. So I'm really, really excited. So it will be uh, just, just fun to be in a room with, you know, a couple hundred other classic film fans because that doesn't usually happen for me (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna happen man brandon is going to stalk uh steven spielberg as well while he's there Um, yes so (laughs) yes i will i will we should read we should mention that there's a reason for that brandon and i are actually going to be debuting on the front row network our new podcast where we are going to team up for the first time ever in this eight-year journey that is podcasting and And it will be very memorable it will be. So tell us about that, Brandon. Well, this actually, this was your idea, but uh, we, uh, what was it? You and I uh, watched The Fablemans and you sort of texted me afterwards saying that you would be interested in watching all of Steven Spielberg's filmography in chronological order and asked if I would join you. And I said, sure, I've only, 
I've covered a couple Spielberg films on uh, Front Row Classics, but it would be fun to uh, see some of the Spielberg blind spots and just revisit some of his tentpole movies and just watch them in sort of their chronological context and see if we can find anything new or different or uh, find any hidden gems that some people might not know. So you and I are going to uh, go from, what is it, Duel all the way through um, Fablemans, Fablemans. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's going to be a lot of fun, and that'll be debuting on the network pretty soon, and I will make sure that I post all about it in Peanut Butter and Biscuits social media as well. Mm-hmm. But we do have a couple of other housekeeping things, and then we got to dive into this episode because we've already spent a lot of time up front here talking <laughs> about all these shows that we're doing for the network. But I do want to get into the reviews. I'm going to take the first one because I actually do know the person that posted this review. He sent it to me as a message, uh, and that's M Taylor 3109, which is our good friend, Mike Taylor. He says, Richmond till we die, join Craig, Jeremy, and sometimes a special guest, maybe like Brandon Davis, as they completely dissect episodes of Ted Lasso. They have segments where predictions are made and reviews of amazing lines from each of the episodes called Tedisms. New episodes typically drop right after the new episodes are released. Don't be a wanker and just listen. So I love that. I actually wanted to take Mike's review because I want to give a very special shout out to Mike Taylor. So I have known Mike through podcasting and he's been a listener of my Disney show and everything else for a long time. Uh, Mike has been on quite the journey this past year. He has lost over 200 pounds. Oh uh, man. So congratulations, yes. Mike, for kind of turning, putting that health uh, first and foremost in your mind. And uh, we love you, buddy, and continue on your journey. And you've got all the support of the Ted Lasso community out there as you go along, too. So, Mike, thanks so much for the review. Jerry, you got the next one? I do from MJJK2016. Uh, Jeremy, it says content, five stars. Jeremy and Craig, I think your podcast is great. Oh, we think you're great, MJJK. Um, I love your Ted Lasso enthusiasm. I feel the same way. But your Packers fans, uh-oh, so sad. Uh-oh, the Bears are the Richmond Greyhounds of American football. <laughs> oh, man. That's uh, all right. So that's I an interesting that, statement here, man. I don't know if it's because we had Max on and he is a Bears fan, but I think we got reviewed bombed by Bears fans. Yeah, I'm gonna blame uh, I'm gonna blame Max Ozinski here, man. <laughs> yeah, we continue on here with Abs 1929, which just sounds like someone that would be a Bears fan. Yeah, and it says great podcast except for the Packers. <laughs> Not sure why I've waited so long to look for and listen for a Ted Lasso podcast. I always feel withdrawals between episodes found you guys and love the breakdown and analysis well except for the packer talk and aaron <laughs> Rodgers talk oh man cool. i almost did four stars because of it but i know how important ratings are well thank you abs mm. uh about that i should say that we've given aaron Rodgers a lot of flack on this particular really podcast have. <laughs> the last couple of weeks so um and i think we have at least one more right yeah, I got one here from a good Ollie. Uh, something about, hey, Liza, way to keep that water bucket, something there. Um, but it says, uh, love the way you guys go through each episode. It affirms what I feel while watching each episode. Can't wait for the next episode. Keep up the great work. Um, lots of episode there, but uh, we do appreciate you, good Ollie, uh, on that uh, comment there. We always love it. And, uh, you know, I think there's one more, Craig. Do you see that one there? I do from our ridiculous, which is great. Season Excellent. Three. Scream name. Love the way that the, that the two of you talk 
to each other. And they started listening back in season one and two, but Aaron Rodgers is awful. <laughs> when I get to that episode, yuck. I don't even oh know. My God. Like, we haven't even mentioned Aaron Rodgers except to Max, right? <laughs> I feel I feel like we talked about him when he was doing this to us last summer. We we also uh, like during yes, yes, one yes. recaps, we were like, I guess Aaron Rodgers is leaving. Well, I, I guess maybe Man, he should have left. We got, I don't know. You're right. We got anyway, review bombed uh, by the Bears fans here. <laughs> somehow we became the Aaron Rodgers Apologist podcast. So uh, No longer, anyway. everyone. No longer. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get into this episode already. We're excited to break it down. You ready to go, Brandon? Yeah, I'm All ready. Right. Let's do this thing. All right, I'm taking the rundown this week. So it is a big week for the Richmond Greyhounds, as we, of course, know that they're going to go off against Nate Shelley and his West Ham club. And so we're excited to see that match, but there's a lot that comes before that. We know that as they were leaving Sam's restaurant, we had this almost like Rocky esque scene between Roy Kent and Jamie Tart. So this episode actually opens up with Roy waking Jamie up at four in the morning, the day, the day after uh, for training. And Jamie is not quite ready to jump out of bed <laughs> with Roy, which will be a callback perhaps later at the end of the episode as well. Nate is actually then modeling for the game. Uh, he's got kind of a, uh, a setup in his apartment and he's marking off his calendar uh, for the days that he's going to be playing Richmond. Clearly this has been on Nate Shelley's mind all season long. And then while he's doing the modeling and he's kind of looking and seeing and visualizing the field and the pitch, he actually flicks Ted's character off onto the ground. And, but then he does pick him up and put him back. So we get to see a lot of this back and forth on Nate throughout the entire episode. And I think it starts right about here, doesn't it, Brandon, with uh, this little like insinuation that maybe Nate isn't quite as angry or mad about Ted as we were led to believe. There's a lot of back and forth all over this episode, um, which is kind of interesting. A lot of conflicting emotions and a lot of conflicting allegiances. So it, it, it is kind of interesting that it does start off with this, but it, it's interesting. You know, I, I ended this last season just totally disliking Nate completely. But in this episode, I'm conflicted. I'm like, I feel sorry for him. I still don't like him. I still, you know, I don't want, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, feel this kind of sympathy for him, but really, yeah, he was, he was just sort of plucked out of that situation so fast. And it's really, you really can see the, um, you know, just the, the, the conflicting ideas, you know, running through his head, you know, maybe, Maybe this isn't the place exactly where he wants to be, but, you know, he he feels like he's earned the right to be there. So, yeah, totally, totally great. And, uh, you know, Nick Muhammad is playing it so well without without much dialogue in some of these early scenes. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Jeremy, what about you? Any thoughts here as we see Nate Shelley preparing for the match? And I know we also talked about uh, Roy and Jamie as well, but that actually comes back right before our title sequence. So we can also talk about that before we dive into the title sequence. So. Thoughts, Jeremy. Yeah, so so many thoughts here. Um, Nick Muhammad is 
my God. <laughs> I mean, like, you're right, Brandon. Like, this this guy is such a good actor. He says so much with just, like, a look. Um, and uh-huh. there's a, a very special kind of actors that who can pull that off. Like, just little facial tics that, like, portray a completely different emotion. Because you're right. Like, when he flicks the ball off the table and, like, Ted first down there, it's like this gleeful joy. thing. like, oh, look at that. Like, oh, knocked yeah. you down there. But, like, almost immediately, it's a he knows, like, the crap thing that he did. And nobody's seeing this. He's a alone in his apartment like nobody knows what happened there but he still feels bad he still feels guilt over knocking down a model of ted a little figurine of ted and more importantly like when he puts him back on the table he says there you go almost with like a delicate care behind his voice and Uh again like this is what i was hoping we would get from nate this season is a lot of conflict a lot of like just internal turmoil over what he's supposed to be over the pressures that he's feeling because again we all know nate's entire being is misplaced anger misplaced like trust everything about his entire existence is putting faith in the wrong things at the wrong time and this scene just goes a a ton of ways around that and you're right i love how many times the richmond game is circled on that calendar you can tell even though he tries to put up this front and everything like that his mind is still in richmond and it's gonna stay there until he deals with what's really bugging him and i have a theory on what that is but it comes later all right well We'll continue on because then we see Ted's apartment and he still has Nate's picture there. I like that they do a pan to see that that's still there. Ted has slept with Sassy after the restaurant night. That's what those two do, man. (laughs) Then Ted goes about asking her on an actual date. And what's Sassy's Mm -hmm. response? God, no. God, no. No. (laughs) She calls Ted a total mess. And then she says, well, she's a mess as well, but she's three years on. So she's just more of a slight disarray than a total mess. Uh, They talk about a convo on Uber ratings, which I think is just wonderful. And then she ends up telling him good luck in the West Ham match, because of course that's on everybody's mind as they're starting to wake up this morning. So I thought that this was a, a good interaction between these two because it establishes for Ted, like he's trying to move on here and he's not going to be able to move on. Uh, This episode is going to be clear of that. And we're going to get some amazing scenes later that I know we're going to talk about with uh, particularly with Hannah and with Rebecca talking to Ted uh, after the match. And so this is just, I, I love that we're doing a callback to season one to the two of them having a bit of a fling and then to Ted trying to take that to the next level and being told no, primarily because she knows sassy knows that he needs some time and that uh, she's not even quite ready to be moving on like that as well. So it's just uh, an interesting take on all of this, but any thoughts for you, Jer? You know, I think this whole episode is basically people not dealing with their emotions in the way that they're in a healthy way. (laughs) I think that's the entire theme of this episode. And it's all like uh, encapsulated in this idea of this match with between West Ham and Richmond. It's like everybody is on edge. Everybody is feeling their feelings very starkly, very intensely. And they just don't know what to do with them. So like Ted Ted in this scene, he's been spiraling a little bit like this ever since Dr. Jacob answered the phone. And like he doesn't, he still just can't quite deal with this. So he thinks that because he has fun with Sassy and because, you know, the two of them obviously have a chemistry together, even if it is just a physical one, it's like, okay, well, this is the connection. This is how I'm not going to feel bad about Michelle and Dr. Jacob being together. But Ellie uh, Taylor just plays this so well as Sassy because you're right. She knows 
that he's not dealt with his baggage. Like he has not dealt with it at all. And then this is going to play a theme later as well, because, you know, even though Ted kind of at the end of this episode does deal with like his relationship baggage when it comes to Michelle, he's still not dealing with his Nate baggage. He's still not dealing with that at all. Um, but, you know, like, again, this is just kind of like this back and forth that's happening here is that Ted is a mess, but not exactly like, you know, what we would prescribe as like a personal mess. But it's because he naturally always keeps everything inside. He never lets it out, of course, except for until the end. Yeah, I I really like that analogy. Good job, Jeremy. It's hey, like man. you've been watching the show for a little while. But Brandon, <laughs> any thoughts that you have on Sassy and Ted here before we get to see Jamie Tart puke all over the field? <laughs> well, uh, I love well, I love the way that they structure Sassy in the episode because you know she's a fly by night character, and so she's very fly by night in this episode. You just get her for one great scene, and uh, we don't see her. Not for the enough. Rest of the time. Not enough. I know. I know. But I love how they pepper her in just enough, and then you know you you know you're wanting more for the rest of the episode but no i really i really enjoyed that conversation because you're right jeremy um some of the most well put together people in your life sometimes might be the messiest and you just don't know it and i think that uh jason sudeikis really does a good job in conveying that so um he's he's uh, channeling his energies into places that might not be the healthiest in terms of dealing with some of this baggage and uh that that certainly comes across a little later in the episode as well but no i that 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 conversation was so great because you've got uh two characters who are so you know diametrically opposed in some ways but so um cohesive in other ways and so it's fun to see the two of them interact because they are both well put together in their you know specific styles and yet there's a lot bubbling underneath that they don't let out all right so then uh we're also going to be moving into after our title sequence goes i kind of want to hit the jamie and roy training maybe more at the end uh when they kind of come back to that at the end of the episode so then after the title sequence we do see that rebecca's reading some quotes uh that rupert has given to the press to keely so of course that is on her mind as well then we see shandy comes in with the new uh banter promo and tells people that uh, they're going to be speaking to a pro footballer on the other end of banter because, of course, that's Rebecca's story from uh -huh. season two, which I really <laughs> enjoy. Uh, Rebecca casually asks if Sam will be participating in the promo as uh, she he asks Shandy if all of the single players are participating but it turns out that sam is no longer participating so i don't know how we're supposed to read into that of course we saw a little maybe a little bit of flirtation or what we thought was flirtation at the restaurant the night before uh, barbara comes into keely's office then and asks for tickets to the west ham match for jack who is the venture capitalist uh investor who gave the money to keely's firm and rebecca says that she can sit in her box and then we actually uh, switch back over to Beard and Roy, and they're trying to do some mind games against Nate. Leads to one of the best scenes that I've seen in a long time between these two. Uh, they really start to get in the weeds, and they basically say that they can't do Nate's false nine because it's Nate. And then they go all through this a massive plan. And, of course, what do they end up on? They're going to be doing Nate's, Nate's false, false nine, nine uh, against, against West Ham. But then uh, Higgins who they're presenting this to ask one question. Do they think that Zava is going to be <laughs> allow them to do that? So we get some nice dichotomy here between like basically in Keeley's office, getting ready for the West Ham match. And then we get to see some of the coaches really get into the tactics as well. But Brandon, any thoughts on uh, these scenes? 
Well, you talking about the Beard and Roy section, I just love, you know, that there's always been high comedy in Ted Lasso, but it seems like this season I'm seeing so many like, Abbott and Costello yes, routines. That's what I was so gonna many. say to you, man. And 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 Beard and Roy are like they should become like the next like Martin and Lewis or something like that because they are so funny together. And I just love you know because uh, you know Brett Goldstein plays everything so uh, so cool and so uh, contained. And <laughs> it's just so fantastic to see the two of them do that. But no, going back to the scene earlier in Keeley's office, um, I th- Barbara is such a great character, or Babs, <laughs> as Shandy tries to call her. Uh, it's just a, lo- just a lot of fun. And I love how well integrated some of these new characters are becoming and they're and and they're playing so well with so many of our established characters and it's just expanding the universe and yeah it's just it's just so great and like i said this season there's a lot they're playing a lot more risks with the comedy in this season and i think a lot of it is paying off because some of it is a little out there but i think it's within the realm of these characters with how we've come to know them so i i really appreciate it yeah i'm, I'm really happy that you called out the abbott and costello there because it's the exact <laughs> same thing i was thinking there it's just like literally the two of them just doing like this word scramble of you know, like it's, going it's, it's a vaudeville act it really is it's just like you just <laughs> said go out on tour together i will go see the brendan hunt brett goldstein yes. comedy tour thank you very much uh, <laughs> but it it was you're right it's funny they go from the false nine back to the classic 442 back to the five up front um back to nate's false nine um, which is just absolutely hilarious because they have to try to outthink him and of course they didn't think of the one thing uh yeah you've got zava there he's not gonna play a false nine <laughs> so he would play i guess uh based on his board interaction a one eight um if mm-hmm. they wanted to do that um but yeah it's just really really fun stuff a lot of tedisms uh in this scene as well but um you know, it, it it does portend uh, the great things because, you know, Craig, the Diamond Dogs are riding again, right? We get the Diamond Dogs! Woo! Yes! Ted walks in. He tells them not to worry about West Ham and to keep it simple, smarty pants. Yes. And uh, then mentions Sassy and says that she thinks that he's a mess. Uh, and then the Diamond Dogs are called. And Beard just straight tells him. Yes. Yes, sir. You are in <laughs> fact a mess. Uh, and so, and then he goes, one of the examples of this is that you're playing Nate and you act like it's not a big deal that he didn't mm-hmm. actually hurt you, mm-hmm. which is really interesting that you bring that coach beard of all of them feels comfortable to bring this up with Ted during the diamond dogs meeting as well. You want to talk about the diamond dogs here, or do you want to go straight into the locker room and kind of combine the two of them together? What do you want to do, Jeremy? Yeah, let's combine them. Let's keep going. All right, so then in the locker room, the commentators are talking about the match, and one predicts that Richmond uh, is going to win, and so uh, Isaac goes, that's my guy, and then Colin says, you can't have him, he's mine, Mm. which I think is interesting because we, of course, get Trent Krim getting a quizzical look in the corner. That was a really nice edit of the camera work, Uh, really smooth edit there. That So good job, Melissa. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then there's a great bit between uh, Mo and Max about names, and Zava imparts some knowledge to the team as well. <laughs> Jamie sees that uh, he agrees that Jamie says he agrees with Zava. Isaac hits the believe sign, uh, and then it's tear- torn in half. And the team figures out that it was, in fact, ripped in half. So this is the first time that they are becoming privy to the information that we've had now for a year and a half that this believe sign was just torn in half. So a lot happens in this little bit of a scene. Thoughts, Jeremy? 
Yeah, lots and lots of stuff here. Um, the Diamond Dog stuff is hilarious um, because they, they let that uh, impersonation go on for a very long time. So much so that Roy just can't even stand it anymore. Seriously, watch Brett Goldstein when that happens because he is absolutely hilarious. He's so annoyed by it. Um, but I, I do also love, though, that, like, again, what I what I said at the beginning there, no, like, Ted is on this insane refusal to acknowledge that Nate hurt him. And I mean, like it is, and I don't know, like there's a lot that you can unpack there about like whether or not Ted feels partially responsible for how, you know, Nate is, is there like to completely go with the star Wars reference again is, you know, Ted, the Obi-Wan Kenobi to Nate's Darth Vader um, in a way, like feeling somewhat (laughs) responsible for what happens with Nate and and doing that. And is that why he continually keeps lying to himself and saying that Nate didn't hurt him? Because I'm sorry, but the words, the deeds, everything, it's got to hurt. It has to. So very interesting dynamic there, even so much so that makes Roy uh, a shout out there. But yeah, we're going to call what Zava imparts wisdom here, I suppose. Uh, just telling Zero that he can be whatever he wants to be, which of course plays absolutely <laughs> hilarious dividends later. But yeah, I mean, like, and, and this was... I think this is the first time we've confirmed, though, this season that the belief sign on the wall is, in fact, the same one that we presume Nate ripped up. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting to get the confirmation of that specifically when the players do as well. I know the Internet detectives were all out there saying, like, you can see the rips there. So that's great. But it is, you know, confirmation of all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, by the way, I was just reading through my notes and I realized that I went right over and I said that Mo and Max were talking as opposed to yeah. uh, Zero and Zava. And I think it's because like, I remember watching- We've talked to these guys. Like, I, we, I was like, I was like, we just talked to these guys and uh, I, I love both of them so much. And so their interaction, I love that. I love when we get some more uh, Mo Junie Lamore in this uh, show, for mm-hmm. sure. He's such a great actor. So enjoy that a lot. But yeah, you know, we had someone in our group as well post right away that the rip on the the sign was evident. But this is the first time that we're really getting it. And I think that, of course, it's going to make a huge impact on this match as well moving forward. So, Brandon, any thoughts about this locker room as we're getting ready to play West Ham? Well, I told you before we uh, we recorded earlier, I said they have got so many story beats, plates spinning in the air yes, they and do. this season. And that locker room scene is an example of that because you've got the Collins story. You've got the Trent Krem story. You've got the Zava story. You've got it all just sort of uh, playing itself within a matter of seconds. All these story beats just happening all at once. And it really is sort of all of these plates spinning in the air, all leading up to the this West Ham match that's coming coming up and it well once again it's all of these sort of hidden agendas all of these sort of just um y- you know little character pieces that you know everyone like like you said is trying to sort of keep under wraps keep a lid on and at some point everything is just going to come bursting out and so this is kind of where you know we're headed and so i think that that locker room scene is a great example of just you know all of these characters trying to keep whatever they're trying to keep under wraps, you know, you know, keep keeping that going. And so it's a great ensemble scene. Yeah. And there's one last thing is that there's, 
you got to think about the psychology of this as well. Like, you know, these players have been playing a certain way before Ted Lasso gets there, the prototypical, you know, pro Uh football athlete way. Ted completely changes their entire dynamic, not only of the locker room, but of life. And it really is fixated and centered on that belief sign. And so Uh you play this out to the end of the episode, like they know that the sign's been ripped, but they have no more information on this. Even when Trent tracks down the footage, he doesn't show the team. So like they, they're literally just percolating with, this information of like somebody ripped our sign the sign that we you know drive our passion from now and like so just like in that sense like because what happens at the end of the game you know it upset me at first until i thought of it in that context they literally had a couple of days of feeling like what the heck happened here what is this was this on purpose like all this uncertainty and then to have it funneled like that it's it's one of those things it's like you kind of get it yeah. And it's kind of incredible that we see the evolution of what this team feels in that belief sign from the first time that it's put up there and everybody kind of laughs it off. And then what do we get? We get uh, in the mid first season, you get Roy Kent putting his hand up there mm-hmm. at the end of the episode. And then, then of course, uh, last season we get Isaac, the captain going over to the belief sign and everybody placing their hands on it. And you see that in the evolution of Jamie Tart, who really is becoming like the best character of season three oh, yes. in a lot of ways. And I'm totally on the Phil Dunster fan bus here, but it's just uh, remarkable to see what that believe sign represents now to the entirety of the team. And that's why their passions uh, can run so high later on. But we then get to see Nate walking past Taste of uh, Athens. And this is, of course, where he wanted to get his window seat in season two. And he's decided he's going to pick up some takeout. And or, or the, what, what did they call it over there? I thought it was interesting. Takeaway. Takeaway. Take yeah. Yes. Which is he's so gonna... weird, but I totally want to start saying it for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that there's the, he does the door gag twice. He runs into the door because he can't figure out if he's supposed to pull or push it. <laughs> he speaks to the hostess. The hostess in the scene. She just does remarkable work here. Yeah, Jade, baby. (laughs) Just not caring at all. Uh, It's just wonderful how not impressed she is. Um, And then what I like about this scene is that it's another glimpse at old Nate because he's trying to explain himself. He's trying to make light. He's trying to make jokes. And he's just not uh, doing very well at it. But then, of course, the manager comes out with the food, mentions the match to Nate. He's very excited that Nathan Shelley is there. uh, And so... He mentions, too, that Nate had talked bad about Ted in the press. And uh, so he also says, don't charge Nate. He's got he's able to take all this away from for for free. And then I love that even when Nathan is leaving the restaurant, the hostess gives him like the most awkward look still (laughs) like she's still giving him the what for here. So this is all really interesting because it shows sort of that like inner struggle that Nathan is now realizing that I think he did speak badly about Ted in the press to try to impress people. And that's going to be a running theme throughout this entire episode that he's going to really feel like maybe he does need to approach Ted and apologize. Right, Brandon. Mm -hmm. And this is to me is another example of Nate getting what he wants, but not in the way that he thought it was going to be Mm. Um, because, you know, here, here he is, he's got this sort of, cachet now um with you know the you know the service industry you know wherever he goes or whatever and yet he's still not quite accepted in the way that he wanted to be and maybe the grass isn't greener on the other side and so you can see that innate struggle with him and yeah there definitely is um like we said this sort of unspoken regret 
um, in terms of how things ended with Ted and should he or shouldn't he be the one to approach. And it, it like I said, so much in Nick Muhammad's just, you know, facial expressions, so much in his body language of how he's approaching it and his little, yeah, his, his interactions with the hostess. Fantastic. Just, uh, just, you know, great sort of, you know, character playing between the two of them. Yeah. Jade, Jade is the MVP of this entire episode <laughs> <laughs> because you're right. She's just so thoroughly unimpressed by anything, which is, and again, like, I don't know. I'll ask you guys this, uh, like, are they going to do something with her? Because that last, that last shot was kind of lingering. I don't know. Like maybe that's like Nate's ultimate sign of whether There's or a- not he's arrived, you know? <laughs> There's a lot of that in this episode. There's a lot of lingering shots on characters and, and expressions and smirks of things that might pay off later, I noticed. So, yeah. yeah, she she was one of them. Yeah, and again, like, Brandon, your analysis is spot on. It's just like the, the whole theme of Nate so far this entire season has been, and again, look, it, the, the you know, Jason and Brendan and all of them have said it, like, the Star Wars references are very real here because Nate uh-huh. is isolated. He is the Darth Vader of this because, like, every single time he thinks that he's going to reach out or that there's going to be something that gives him that meaning, it doesn't fulfill. And, you know, like, and no matter where he's at, no matter when he's, like, getting cachet, no matter when he's getting praise, it all still comes back to Ted. And again, that's Nate's lingering pain is that he knows he caused Ted pain. He knows that he pushed away the people the only people that ever cared about him despite what he could do for them you know like when ted first saw him he was just interested in who nate was nobody even knew his name at the dog track um and stuff like that and so it's that under overwhelming guilt that nate feels but every single time he's about to act on it or think about it something from west ham mostly rupert but in this case derek the manager um pulls him back into that world and it's just it's the i think the whole theme of the season is going to be can he escape that west ham tractor beam so to speak to get himself to where he needs to go yes and we're going to come back to Nathan here in a minute, but we get a great scene here where uh, Shandy is doing all the banter promo shots with all <laughs> these single players. And it's wonderful. We get Danny has a great line about who his oldest friend is. Yes. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, after the Zaba chat about names and him imparting his knowledge to the row, we now find out that uh, he's now going to go by Van Dam. Of course. Uh, which is <laughs> wonderful uh, because Zaba said, be whoever you want to be. And that's who I want to be. It says Mo Judy Lamore. Uh, and then Shandy asked Keely about Jamie. And this had been this talked was about awesome. a little bit online. This was so awesome. Um, she long, she kind of Keely longingly sort of explains that uh, Jamie is cocky and he only thinks about himself or at least he used to be like that. And now he's getting better at making apologies. And then Shandy just goes, I just want to know if I can bang him. Yeah. <laughs> and basically Keely gives her the green light. But I, I thought that this was interesting because we got that look in the restaurant from Keely over to Roy, but then also over to Jamie as well. And Jamie has made a lot of progress and a lot of change. And he's had a lot of growth since the last time we saw him and Keely together. And so I thought Juno Temple, the way that she kind of lingered on these lines 
was just fantastic, wasn't it, Jeremy? Yeah, this was great A acting from Juno Temple here. Um, and it, and you're right, like the, there is a tension, there is some kind of lingering thing that we have to deal with with Jamie here. I don't know if that's going to end up being like you know they were together and now they end up together. Maybe they're the couple of this entire series. Um, you know, given how much people loved Keely and Roy, I I find that hard to believe. Um, especially in the Zach Kelly component of how this is all going to work out, but the way that she delivers these lines is just so great because she's literally giving a promo for Jamie for Shandy, but also like realizing what she's doing and not knowing if she wants to do that while still trying to say it was good stuff. Like there's so much context that she's giving here. And uh, yeah, the Shandy actress, I got to look up her name because she played that great because you watch her in that scene. She just like, doesn't even make a facial tick at all. It's just like so dead straight. It's just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, so, but I don't know. She also says in this scene, she likes to be the boss. I feel a power play coming here from Shandy. I don't know. That's just me. Well, she makes a move on banter, uh, certainly towards the end of this episode and gets in a little bit of a conflict with our friend Keely Jones. So mm-hmm. Brandon, any thoughts on this scene before we move on? Well, first of all, my favorite part was uh, Danny saying his favorite thing about women was their flaws. That was my yeah, favorite. Good line. <laughs> But no, I no, you're you're totally right. I love that this sort of power, this interplay between you know the Keely and Roy, Keely and Jamie. It's all up in the air, and we don't know exactly where anything is going to land. And now you've got Shandy in the mix, and I, Jeremy, I think that there is some big drama that's going to come mm-hmm. involving Shandy at some mm-hmm. point, and she's going to wreck shop for a bunch of our characters here i think to speak brandon's lingo here is an all about eve situation about to happen i think and if you don't know what that is look it up folks yes fasten your seatbelts. um but it (laughs) but but yeah no there's yeah there is certainly this sort of thing where i feel like keely is trying to be the rebecca to shandy's keely but she has the wrong student right yeah, now yeah, and yeah. this is not going to turn out as well so i i think we all just need to buckle up for that but no i i i do i th- that character to me is fascinating and i enjoy watching her so much but yeah i do i do enjoy sort of her presence and this whole sort of banter thing that she's got going on with the players and 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 yeah it's just a great scene and there's so much there's so much we don't know yet that we uh that, that i can't wait to see revealed coming up later in the season Absolutely. And so now we get a couple of really cool and kind of crucial scenes into the psychology of where all of our characters are at. First of all, we get to see that Trent, Roy, and Beard are going to show Ted the video of Nathan ripping down the sign at the end of season two. And we get to see they kind of make it a little bit of a joke of Nate here that he can't reach the sign and then he falls off the chair once. But then, of course, ultimately we do see him. And we talked about it last uh, October that it was the worst off-screen death in history. Of television, it is. but here is the on-screen death of that same belief sign, and, and exactly what he does there. So it'd be interesting. I, I thought I thought about this, and it'd be interesting to ask like AJ and Mel. So if you're listening, AJ or Mel, let, let us know. But if this was filmed at the end of season two and then inserted into the scene, or if it was uh, kind of they redid everything and they filmed it during season three filming as well, um, because of course we had it just perfectly where the uh, belief sign is laid on the table there. So I do want to talk about that, but we get this kind of interesting dichotomy between the manager and the coach on both sides. First, we get to see Nate and Rupert talking about the match and Nate shows 
you know, a slight lack of confidence. And when it comes to the West Ham match and the Richmond match coming up, but then of course he changes his tune right away, but he does mention to Rupert that he feels like he owes Ted an apology and Rupert then goes into full on manipulation mode. And he says, you've done nothing wrong. Tell him nothing, uh, but then go out there and beat him. And then on the way out the door, this is interesting because earlier we see that Rupert is telling Nathan to always just call him Rupert. And then on the way out the door, Nathan says goodbye to him or goodbye, Rupert, or whatever he's going to say. And then uh, Rupert turns around and just says, Mr. Mannion. Mm. So he's very serious here. Mm. Before we talk about it, though, I want to see the exact opposite interaction between a manager and their boss, and that being the the what we're going to get from Ted and Rebecca here. And I think this is going to be the scene that has a lot of people talking online. Oh, you this, think? <laughs> uh, the the Ted Becca folks calling Tori, calling Tori, to right here. Uh, so Michelle texts Ted, um, and she just wishes him good luck on the match. But then he starts to go and back read all of Doctor Jacob's text, and it's the exact same text. And of course, Ted being Ted has to react to it every single time it's sent. <laughs> See you next week at Wednesday at 10 a.m. Um, and then Rebecca tells Ted that she really wants to win the match when she comes into his office. Then she asks if everything is okay. And Ted asks if uh, Ted asks if he's a mess. And she responds that, of course, he is. And that Sassy is always right. And so <laughs> Sassy has already given Rebecca the heads up. But then Ted finally, um, after Rebecca says the magic word, Oklahoma, oh. Ted finally admits to himself that he is a bit of a mess as well. Ted then tells Rebecca that she's already won against Rupert by getting him out of her life. And then Rebecca says, beat them. Mm. That's all she says to him as she walks out. And I love that the camera lingers on Ted and his facial reaction to there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of thought. There's a lot of potential ideas that are going on in that man's head. But this is an amazing interaction between Jason and Hannah here, isn't it, Jeremy? Yeah. I mean, the psychology on display in all four of these characters is just immense in this like little five minute span um specifically with rupert and nate again this is like cult leader 101 uh, type of thing just like smothering with like good feelings and stuff and here's the thing is like when i was watching this and uh, the second time it was rupert's advice to nate in a vacuum is not terrible advice like when you feel like you've wronged someone but you're not sure anything or but like when you feel you know maybe something that you shouldn't or or, or you owe something that you don't i mean his advice is basically like you don't have to do anything just go shake his hand and then go out and beat him you know like and it is like in and of itself like there can be some merit to that kind of advice but of course this is once again rupert like emperor palpatine i'm just gonna keep doing it guys like <laughs> hammering out every imperfection of his apprentice and just like every little bit of weakness that nate shows he tries to like just make sure that just pound that away pound that away pound that away because he knows that an angry nate is the one that can win these games and again that is what it's all about for Rupert. And we're going to get into his psychology a lot more towards the end of the match. But Nate, again, the real Nate is still in there. He's shown us many, many times in this episode. And, you know, whether or not that Nate can ultimately win against evil Nate, we will we will never know. But, yes, Oklahoma. They brought back Oklahoma. And I don't even, I don't even remember if, like, 
we even saw her and Ted talk about that. Um, no, we did. We did. Actually, no, that he was did explain that to his office. Yes. He explained that to her. Okay. Um, because I remember, you know, him doing that to Michelle when she came and visited, but I couldn't remember that. But yes, he did. T- he did say that to Rebecca, but it's amazing that she's taken so much care in Ted that she remembers that and that she can now recognize those moments of weakness in Ted. Um, and, and yeah. And again, Ted is not dealing with any of his demons, any of his like flaws, uh, in the way that he's interacting with people who have hurt him. And I think that this continues to be something that is just going to keep pounding, 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 especially when it comes to Nate until he finally gets it, gets it through. Absolutely. And so actually Hannah Waddingham herself had also kind of set the internet on fire one day when uh, they released the still image of this episode. And in her story, she just said the word Oklahoma at the bottom. Mm. And uh, that led everybody to speculate what was going on there. But this is clearly showing I, what I love about this is it just shows the complete difference between this these two pairs of managers and owners and uh, what we're going to have coming at each other. Brandon, any thoughts before the teams arrive at West Ham for the match? No, well, you were talking about, you know, the scene with Nate and uh, Rupert. Everything that Rupert says, if you were to read it on paper, is the right thing to say in this situation. But we know these characters so well now, and we know what his agenda is, mm. and it feels so slimy. Yes, <laughs> at the same way, and so and so juxtapose that with the Ted and Rebecca scene, and we know these characters so well by now as well, and we know um, they're saying a little more. Um, you know, they're keeping things more on a professional level when they're talking to each other but you know deep down what these meanings are underneath sort of what they're saying so yeah it's a, it's an interesting juxtaposition when you look at the two scenes but it, it sets the stage so well for what's to come here coming up and uh, how suddenly all of these sort of like I mentioned before plates that are spinning up in the air are going to kind of come crashing down here later in the episode yeah, and it's also it's also Rebecca's psychology on display here too, uh-huh. because even though Ted tells her the truth, just like you do not have to worry about Rupert anymore, like you don't you don't have yeah. to let him live rent free in your head anymore. You got him out of your life, but yeah. she can't she can't let him go. No. So the teams are arriving at West Ham for the match, and uh, Keeley is getting really nervous about meeting Jack as well. Uh, Rupert meets up with Rebecca and Bex is there, of course. Uh, and then we actually get to see Keely run off to the restroom. She's in need of a tampon. And so someone in the stall next to her is going to give her that. And uh, later on, it turns out to be that that is our Jack. Uh, Great who shoes. To be fantastic sneakers. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic sneakers for sure. Um, and then there's this great scene of Ted on a crowded elevator. And of course, he's being very Ted Lasso about it. He's asking who people are rooting for and they all tell him West Ham. And it's like, well, that kind of checks out. And then everybody slowly gets off the elevator around brilliant. Ted, except brilliant. in the back corner, we see Nathan Shelley turning away like he is in detention or something like that (laughs) because he was trying to hide away from Ted Uh. because he saw Ted get in the elevator. And uh, this is where we get our first almost apology, almost interaction that Nathan's allowed to have. But then, of course, we get that great shot, which was the still image released of this episode where Rupert breaks it up just before Nathan's able to talk to Ted about anything. Um, what a what an amazing like little moment that that was there. And you know, of course, like that image 
when it kind of set Ted Lasso world on fire when they <laughs> released it, because that was the first thing we had seen of, of season three. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it just incredible the payoff that it has there. Um, so it, we get a little bit more dialogue in the owner's box as well uh, between the group kind of explaining who Jack is, because she's going to be a character moving forward. We already knew that in the casting news up to season three. She has a great run, by the way, in For All Mankind. Uh, I do not want to spoil anything in that show uh, and directions of her character, but man, really cool character. Brought to you um, by Apple TV plus. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. For sure. But this is all just great. I love these interactions before we get into the actual match proper. Any thoughts on that, Jer? Yeah. I mean like the, the elevator scene is hilarious. A masterclass in how you shoot a, a scene, the composition of a scene. Like the last thing I was expecting there was Nate to just be over there in the corner Blair Witch Project style, just like hoping <laughs> that he just like disappears out of the room. Um, but again, like I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial here, but it's just like, I don't think that Ted's like greetings of him is exactly true either. If you know what I mean. I don't think like, because Ted is talking to him with this like typical Ted exuberance. He's like, oh, hey, Nate, you know, oh, how you doing, buddy? And stuff like that. And it's just like, I don't buy that Ted is not harboring all of that hurt um, down, deep down underneath. Like, you know, like he's putting on a really good front here. And I do think that he has never stopped caring about Nate and that that's not going to change. But, you know, it seems like a little bit of overcompensation as well. Just a smidge. Jason plays it so perfectly. But like, you're right. Just once again, though, being pulled back into the West Ham tractor beam and Nate just can't escape it and stuff. And it really kind of dictates how this how this match goes, too. Yes, it does. Well, let's get right into the match. Uh, so it's the match that will the outcome of this will put whoever wins on top of the table to uh, be ahead of man city actually for number one they must have nate, lost you know nate, nate does exactly what uh what rupert tells him to do and that's that he shakes ted's hand and then just walks back to his side of the pitch but he wasn't going really to he him. wasn't going to shake his hand ted walked over and like sort of forced the issue Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, so then we get to see the match uh, move on, and it is quite a close match for most of the first half. There is a moment where Richmond looks like they're going to score, but Jamie Tart kind of <sighs> regressing to season one. Jamie Tart takes the shot when there is a wide open Zava, and he hits the crossbar at the top, so he uh, it misses that shot. And then West Ham is able to score not once, but twice just before the half. Mm. And so uh, Ted, and so then after that, we go into the locker rooms and Ted uh, and Rebecca meet in the hallway. And Rebecca has this amazing <laughs> this is... scene where she tells Ted that she believes in him. This is so uh, uncomfortable. And she's so like <laughs> giddy and just over the top with it. And Ted doesn't even know. Like, you know, when Ted Lasso is like, woo, this person's really intense right now. Like, I don't know what to do with this person, <laughs> that that person's really acting it up. For sure. So that's the first half. I do also want to mention that before we get into the second half, uh, we get to see that Ted walks into the locker room and Beard and Roy have showed the security footage uh, of Nathan. The team is frothing. They're so upset. Ted is not amused at all. They go back out for the second half. 
Bumper Catch is the first one to get his red card and get knocked out of this uh, uh, match. And then Richmond just starts playing super dirty. They end up losing three players. That's uh, an understatement. <laughs> super <half>. dirty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then they, of course, lose the match four to one. They do get one Zava goal, but that is it. So four to one is what uh, ends up being the, the outcome of this West Ham match. Ted tries to get a handshake from Nate, but then Nate runs onto the pitch excitedly missing Ted. And that will come up here in just a little bit. So that's basically the whole match and the locker room as well. Brandon, your thoughts on what we get here. We actually get to see some pretty legit soccer play too. Yeah. I mean, you both know I'm not a sports expert by any means, so I can't give you all of the, (laughs) I can't give you all the technical uh, criteria and critiques here, but no, it was no, just fascinating because we haven't seen anything quite like this in all three seasons, you know, to see, to see Richmond play so down and dirty. um, It it was a lot of fun. It was like an alternate universe watching that. So that, so that was, that was a lot of fun. And I wish it, it would just be fun to see just like a whole, you know, series of like shorts of Jeremy Swift, Haddon Wanningham, and Juno Temple just sitting in the bleachers reacting to things because yes. it's just brilliant. The f- it's just it's amazing, and I love uh, you know just the little comedic bits that they do is so brilliant. And Brendan Hunt's reactions during all of this is fantastic too. So it's so many. It's- so many great things and, and and like you said once again we're um you know we dealt with an awkward um ted and nate interaction earlier on the elevator which i didn't get to talk about it but felt like sort of the willy wonka hallway to nowhere the way that, that <laughs> oh, was yeah, shot um yeah. <laughs> but it was just yeah so seeing them once again you know him you know you know, neglecting the handshake at the end, you know, is, you know, once again, we get another sort of missed opportunity because Rupert interrupted the other opportunity at the beginning. So we get these sort of near misses coming up and it's kind of like this, you know, you're almost at the, you know, point of satisfaction, but then you don't quite get it. And so it's all of this sort of false starts that we're getting during this whole section of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you, uh, you, kind of get to see all of these different interactions going on. Jeremy, your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, like the uh, – again, I, I kind of mentioned it at the start, but like when the team gets shown that footage, I mean, it is – you know, it's a brutal punch to them in terms of like now they know the place to channel their anger. But also remember in a certain way they can't channel it to where it needs to go because it's not like you can go and, you know – forcibly slide tackle the manager on the sideline so even then they have to like go and take out their rage on an avatar but the thing about it is too though is that the reason why beard and roy feel like they have to show this footage and do something about this in this way is because they are just catatonic at the end of that first half because you know it's a slip goal that happens and everything in the first one but then you notice like nate doing like these hand signals to his front line and you know all of a sudden you see them all press forward like that at the end of the half now i'm going to give myself uh, some leeway here and I'm going to give some like off screen, never really been said thing. But I think this is probably Nate knowing something about Ted and Beard's coaching style where it's like at the end of the half, like Richmond naturally like plays it easier, like when they're in stoppage time or when they're near the whistle, like they kind of back off a little bit. And so Nate can like manipulate that with his players saying like, no, push forward. We can get something else out of this. And, you know, it's just an absolute gut punch. It's a catatonic thing. Um, They even say the commentators like Richmond dominates 
dominates the time of possession in that half, but they're still down two goals. And it's just a gutting thing for a team. It's just all of a sudden it's like, what do, what do we do? Like, what just happened there? And even Sam, like, when they're walking back, he's just like, I don't know. <laughs> like, so, you know, they feel like they have to do this. But then, again, they're not dealing with their anger in the right way, are they? They're not mm. dealing with the anger they feel towards Nate, the betrayal they feel towards Nate. Because even at the beginning of this episode, when the commentators are saying, like, oh, it's going to be Richmond. Oh, it's going to be this. And they're all saying, like, oh, we just, you know, don't listen to it. We don't need to worry about it. The team was hurt, too. The team was hurt by Nate leaving. The team was hurt by all the things he keeps saying about them, all the disparaging thing he keeps saying about Richmond, and they don't have a place to channel that. And now it's multiplied 20 times by knowing that he destroyed the symbol of their belief. And it's it's one of those things that I think is going to pay dividends further down the season because it can't just be this part of it. I think we're going to be playing West Ham at least one more time. You think so, huh? So maybe you're changing your tune a little bit here. I thought that you, sir, thought that Man City was going to be the main bad here. I still do think Man City is the ultimate win, but I think that they're going to have to go through West Ham to get there again. Um, So I think that this isn't the last time we're going to see them play West Ham, but I don't know. Maybe I could be wrong. I still do think the ultimate big bad soccer-wise is Man City, though. Okay. Okay. Uh, I like that you brought up the end of the first half because to me, it's a callback to the hope that kills you and yep. that uh, season one finale, because of course, Jamie Tart's able to score for Man City basically because uh, there's sort of a moment of hesitation or excitement after the goal that Richmond scores to tie up that match. And so a little bit of a different scenario here because it was nil nil, but at the same time, it was almost like they're just caught uh, off their balance because here West Ham just scored and now they're going to kind of push forward and be aggressive and and take that second score from them as well so so good stuff there but after the match Rebecca sees Rupert with his assistant at the end uh, of the match Beard and Roy uh, want to be yelled at in one of the best (laughs) scenes again they they were becoming such the best like comedy duo like you guys were talking about earlier I absolutely love Beard and Roy together it's like their powers combined are making this amazing (laughs) side character that I just keep falling in love with um but ted won't do it uh he says oh you tried something new and it didn't work out big whoop so that's all he's gonna give them and they're so mad about it then we flash over to nathan's post game Uh, he says the win came easier than he thought that it would so this is like sinister nate Uh, But then he gets thrown off because a reporter mentions the snub of the handshake that he didn't give Ted Lasso a handshake at the end of the match. Um, And then we see that Nathan is going to go try to find Ted before he gets on the bus and he actually sees Ted from far away. But it's not Rupert this time. It's Rupert's assistant that drags him away because he's telling Nathan to go to this address, to go to this party uh, with Rupert after after the match. When Nate looks back around, Ted is already gone again. So he's missed an opportunity again to apologize or to really have a face-to-face and a heart-to-heart with Ted as well. Before we actually leave the uh, area, it's mentioned by Shandy that banter is uh, trending and it's because she has completely changed uh, the philosophy of banter. And so she says, this is the app where you get to bang a footballer. Mm. And Keely is kind of upset about that. And uh, this all happens right in front of Jack. So I think that that's interesting too, because Keely is saying goodbye to her. And of course, Jack is the investor in Keely's firm. So this is something that like there, there's kind of this turmoil between these two characters uh, and their investor is watching that turmoil 
as it's happening as well. Um, that's the last scene that I had before we leave the before we leave the match. I did have a little bit of a note where Nate shows up at Rupert's after party. Um, and at this point, the manipulation has gone back again because he tell he calls him Mr. Mannion and Rupert says, no, go ahead and call me Rupert. Uh, <laughs> and then he's introduced to a celebrity that is supposed to uh, woo him all night. Uh, right. So Nathan is trying to trying to kind of in- incorporate himself into that life, even though it's clear that he's very awkward about <laughs> all of it. We do get to see uh, Jamie uh, and Roy do one more workout. Jamie jumps out of the door. He's ready to go and work out with Roy. So I wanted to do all of those scenes together and talk about them because we have to talk about that last scene completely on its own. Uh, so I know I went through a lot there, but is there some things that you want to comment on there, Brandon? Well, I loved the interaction once after Rebecca catches Rupert with his assistant and she confronts him about it quietly um, because we talked about earlier about channeling things correctly. And instead of channeling things at his new wife, like, you know, she has done sort of earlier, she's channeling the anger correctly at Rupert and protecting Bex and the baby. And I think that that would, that shows some growth um, in Rebecca that we're seeing here just a little bit. And also I just, um, you know, like I said before, I think we're getting seeds planted of Shandy really sort of overstepping with Keeley a lot here. And uh, I think this is only the beginning. And like I said, we'll see it more down the road, but I think we just need to get a spinoff of uh, Roy and Jamie odd couple sort of uh, <laughs> stuff here because it's so good. And I love the two of them together. And I think almost it's like, man, they're kind of the becoming the super couple of the show. There you go. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun to see that and to see where they started in season one to see them now and to see sort of this sort of new dynamic happening between the two of them. And I cannot wait to see where sort of this relationship leads and uh, how Jamie's going to play sort of later on in the season. But yeah, there's so many nice little seeds planted at the end of this episode of what could be some, some good and some not so good. There you go. Roy me. I like it. Uh, we'll make them a celebrity couple there. Well, that's why I was, I was going to say that I, uh, I'm ready for our side podcast. Uh, they're bromates. There you and, go. <laughs> uh, I was going to go with Broy, um, but you know, we can go with a couple, whatever, you know, we can come up with a, a hashtag for sure. <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, no, I, I like that. Uh, what you called out there, uh, Brandon, like, cause you're right. Like Rupert thinks that beating Richmond is going to satisfy him. And I'm guessing in a way that it does, but like the way that Rebecca tells him off just literally undresses him like Mm -hmm. so much right there. It dresses him down so much because again, like he's triumphant, his team wins, they win decisively and Richmond looks terrible losing. Every single thing is correct in Rupert's world right there. And yet he still can't be happy with his wife and his child. The things that he supposedly says he is happy with at least Uh what he told Rebecca in season two. Um, Uh And then she literally just pulls him in close. He's just like, knock it the hell off. It's just like, it's literally like speaking to a child. Like, are you kidding me? Like, what is wrong with you? And you know what? Rupert knows it. You can tell. And like Anthony Head is, I I think he needs to get a lot of praise for how he's playing Rupert this season because the smarm, the sinisterness is always there. But that look that he gives her after she says that to him is just this look of like, 
I didn't actually win. Like, you know, like he is still like, he still can't get to her and that's what he wants. He wants to get to Rebecca. He wants to still get under her skin because I don't know. He might, she might be the love of his life and that he's just naturally prone to destroying everything. Um, so just a really good scene there. And again, yes, Nate gets pulled back in. I just love the little bit where, like, he still doesn't like martinis. <laughs> he still just spits uh-huh. the martini out, even though he's still trying to act so cool at Bones and Honey, like you said there. Um, it's it's just a very, very interesting dichotomy of how all of this is working together. So good stuff on the horizon, man. Deep, deep character analysis. But then, of course, we all have to get gutted once again. Holy moly, Ted Lasso. Ted's pacing uh, back and forth on his apartment, and then he looks over at uh, Lego Nate a couple of times, almost as though he wants to move Nathan back to the stands where he had him in the first episode. And of course, Henry mentioned in his FaceTime to him, why isn't Nathan with the team? And so you can kind of see this like mindset, this thought process going on in Ted's mind. He wants to pick him up and move him, but he doesn't do it, does he? And I think that that's a very interesting tell as well. But he does FaceTime back to home and Michelle answers and says, Henry's away, but that's okay because Ted wants to talk to her. And he admits to her that he's very ticked. He's mad about uh, Jake. And then he gives this amazing uh, monologue where, you know, we, we saw some amazing acting from Hannah Waddingham uh, a couple of episodes ago. And now we're seeing Jason Sudeikis go, okay, hold my beer here because <laughs> yes. uh, he is just talking to Michelle and talking about how much he still loves her. He loves Henry. He loves the family, whatever form that's going to be. They're going to be parents together. uh, And they've got this great kid. And uh, it's just amazing. And at the end, Ted ends the call with uh, just a huge sigh after he pushes down the laptop. And then, of course, our last shot, we go back to Michelle Lasso in her house. And she gives the briefest glimpse of a smile. And I think that's a smile that people will be talking about in Ted Lasso land for at least the next yeah, week. Yeah, you think so? Longer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, this was quite the scene. I'll tell you that uh, it is something that uh, is really like it's showing that this divorce and um, talking about like parenting and co-parenting that we knew that that was going to be a theme right from the jump. I mean, look at the very first scene of this season and here it is kind of coming to a head or starting to come to a head. And it leads us to believe a a lot of different things could be going on. We had so much a uh, Ted that is questioning himself. Why am I still here? I knew why I came here. I don't know what we're still doing here. And now he's saying, am I a mess? I am a mess, right? And he's coming to these realizations. He's asking all of these questions and I think it's going to lead to what our, you know, third of the way through the season prediction has to be here. Um, and this actually came, I believe, from Kenny and Lasso cast in our predictions episode. But maybe Ted's got to go home, guys. And so uh, this is something that we're going to be kind of unraveling here um, as we move along. But this scene, man, it, it touched me uh, in a very personal way. And I I got to tell you, Jason just really killed it. Um Brandon, thoughts on this scene? No, well, I mean, you said it beautifully played by Jason and just 
so interesting that Michelle gets the last shot of the episode. That That's not something that you would ever expect, because um, I, I don't think of her as one of the tentpole characters of the show that you end an episode on. But uh, just, just sort of an interesting... Um, once again, seed planted to see, okay, where, where is all of this going? You know, what are her intentions? What are her motivations? And, you, you know, just a, just, just like we said, a brilliantly played scene about how can, how can two people who have been through what Michelle and Ted have been through sort of, um, sort of co cohabitate in this sort of new life together that they've created and can, can sort of, can a new peace sort of come between the two of them finally? And uh, can he, can you go home again after, you know, he's created sort of a new home for himself um, it, with, with this new life that he has. And so all, all these questions are up in the air and it's kind of a brilliant way to end the first third of the season, because there's so many questions that I have at the end of this episode and to see them all sort of unravel over the next season is going to be a, uh, fascinating but yeah just 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 what what a way to uh end this episode and pulling back the curtain before i go to jeremy i will mention that this was the last episode that the press was given prior to uh the release of season three and so i we jeremy and i have been lingering on this question for a minute uh, (laughs) of what direction this is going uh, because we have not seen any of the future episodes at this point. And so it, it is quite the moment to leave us wanting more, right, Jeremy? Yeah. And there's, you know, the, the, the reason they keep uh, lingering on Nate and Ted's Lego characters next to each other, I think is very deliberate because again, the theme of the episode, the theme of really the first four episodes of, of this season, again, Ted not dealing with what he needs to deal with. And what I think is important about lingering on Nate's Lego is that he wants to do something. He wants to do something, but he can't do anything for Nate right now. He doesn't have that ability. Nate is somewhere else. He doesn't, you know, he knows that he won't talk to him anyway, most likely based on how the game ended. And so what he can do is deal with the other thing that's really bugging him that he keeps holding inside, which is Melissa or Michelle and Dr. Jacob. And this scene is like so perfect, like the way that Jason plays it, because again, he's working it out. Ted is working out his own thoughts that he's had for the last couple of weeks in real time right here with us. And, you know, when when it comes down to it, you know, you guys have said brilliantly about what he did there. But like the last shot with Michelle, you got to think of it this way. If you want to give a generous like interpretation of this, you could say that him asking Sassy out at the beginning of the episode was him maybe trying to lay down some roots here in London, trying to think if this could be a place that he could call home. And it wasn't. And now he's sitting here thinking like, you know, about Henry and about their family and all that kind of stuff. Now I want to head this off at the pass here, people. (laughs) I do not think this smile means that Michelle is falling for Ted again. I do not think these two are going to end up together again. This is not, I don't think that's the point of this. What I think Michelle's smile is all about is that, I think one of the reasons why she and Ted broke up is because he would never do this. He would never just sit there and say what he was really feeling. Think about all those texts with Dr. Jacob that you called out there, Greg, how every single one of them had the thumbs up emoji right there onto it. It's just like he literally finds a routine. He finds a way to not deal with things and to think that everything is going to be okay. And finally, he's sitting here just telling someone he cares, like, you hurt me and that sucks and I don't like it. 
And I mean, what is it even said to? He said like, you know, I don't know if saying this is right, but not saying it also wouldn't be right. And so just man, come on, man. steal my tetism. <laughs> oh, I didn't know it was going to be a tetism. Creepers. But, <laughs> but I mean, like that's gracious. it. Like he's finally doing it, and, I, and so I think what that smile is from Michelle is, okay, he's growing, or like you know, like this, he he's doing something he hasn't done before. So I think that's what that is like head off the romance of the past people. I don't think that's it. I, I do uh, think more and more we're going to see um, Mr. Sudeikis back in uh, Kansas again soon. So it's really interesting, uh, really interesting shot to leave us on. And man, what an episode this was. This was a killer episode. It took yeah. us a while to get through it. I get that because there was a lot that happened. There's a lot of interpersonal um character growth that happens in this. There's a lot of subtlety and a lot of facial interactions. Uh, Nonverbal communication is huge in this episode. Mm -hmm. I mean, just from the interactions that we have, even with some of the newer characters that we're meeting, uh, like the first interaction that Keely and Jack have in the bathroom, right? I mean, there's, Mm -hmm. there's so much that is left unsaid in these characters. There's people, there's the Jamie Tart and Nate, where, you know, we're looking at basically what you would describe as the villain of season one, and his growth in Jamie Tart, and then maybe regressing just ever so slightly with that goal, that shot on goal that happens in the match. And then we have Nathan, who's the villain of season two, and he's kind of trying to be redeemed here. He's trying to go back to being himself. And so I just, man, goodness gracious, this writing, right? Uh, mm. I haven't said that this episode yet, but it is, it is just such great writing. So But that's it for the episode. You know what that means, right, Jeremy? I do. Let's saddle up the horses, everyone. It's Tedism's time. Tedism's. For each week, we share biscuits truth. All right. So, Brandon, you are our guest. That means you get to go first with your first Tedism. What is it? All right. Well, I'm going to uh, start with a, uh, let's see. I've got a couple, but... Oh, Zava's line. I got to say it. Sending out Van Damme was a mistake. He played with passion. Passion is a word we use when we talk about love. It's also a word we use to describe a crime. Sometimes it is also a fruit. (laughs) Max, Max, baby. Just keep doing it. I will tell you what. So I got to that line and I actually texted Brandon when I was rewatching the episode. And I was like, are you using that as a tedism? Because if you are, I'm not going to type all that out. (laughs) I did. I did all the rewinding. (laughs) Yes, you did, uh, which is wonderful. So, because as you mentioned, the problem with doing these quotes is that when you do it before the episode is posted, you don't get to just go and grab the quotes from online. So yeah, we do true. have to do an, an ample amount of uh, rewinding for these. Uh, I'll go next because you mentioned uh, Van Damme. This is the rare Arlo White Tedism. <laughs> I absolutely love this. Uh, at the end of the match, he says, the Canadian keeper apparently not as unstoppable as the muscles from Brussels. I love that so much. Uh, there was so much commentary going back. Actually, I think that that was at the end of the first half, wasn't it? Yeah. But still, uh, Arlo White making an appearance in Tedisms. Congratulations to you. I think that might be his first one, right, Jeremy? I think so. I mean, like he's had plenty of worthy lines, but I don't know if we've called him out yet. Um, especially his little uh, dig at uh, making predictions in this episode. Cause he just, he's always right. He's wondering if he's making these things happen. <laughs> so those are always good there. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go pretty vulgar for my first one here. So plug your ears if you want to guys, but it had to happen when uh, Roy and beard are discussing their, uh, their plan for attacking West. 
Tam, and Roy says, well, fuck Nate, fuck thinking, and fuck fucking Socrates. <laughs> Love that. I have that on my lines, too. Um, just, oh, man. <laughs> just wonderful, just wonderful stuff. And then we get, you know, because you did the, that was Roy and Beard um, at the beginning of the episode. Of course, Roy and Beard discussing Ted at the uh, end of the episode after he won't Give, be mad at them for showing the team the tape of Nate uh, ripping the belief sign. Um, Roy starts off by saying, what a fucking asshole. Yep. And then Beard goes, I know. Yep. <laughs> this is also what Higgins says about Ted when Re- he forgives Rebecca in season one as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. But that one wasn't actually mine. I actually really enjoyed, this is like such smart writing. Uh, I love uh, the scene with Sassy and Ted at the beginning of the episode and they're talking about uh, No Strings Attached and Friends with Benefits, these two movies that came out in 2011. And Sassy said, let's keep things 2011, cool and breezy. And then Ted immediately says, like an Arab spring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's not bad. Oh, gosh. Like, come on. Like, that is just, that's just smart. You know what I mean? Like, that is a smart line. And I, I absolutely loved it. Brandon, back to you. Well, as the Front Row Classics host, I had to include this. Ted to Trent Krim. Thank you for your help, Trent. May a young Robert Redford portray you in a movie someday. And Trent Krim's reply, probably Dustin Hoffman. Yes, yes. Got <laughs> all the presidents the hair, right? all out there. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go with, oh, uh, no, I'll go with uh, one here that's really great folksy stuff. Y'all point more, for, more fingers than Ganesha giving directions. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. Some nice Hindu uh, Hindu humor there. I uh, I love this line from Beard. I, I didn't finish the whole line, but he says, we have a saying in Codependence Anonymous. And then they look at him and he goes, Jane makes me go Jane with her. Jane makes me go with her. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he has to go with someone to Codependence Anonymous. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I, th- there's also the one, the other one in that scene. Um, and you already said it, but I think it's actually very profound. When she says, keep it simple, smarty pants. An answer will show up. Don't worry. Uh, and, you know, it's like one of those things in life. Just take a breath, everyone. Like sometimes the answers will, will present themselves to you. Yeah. Absolutely. I've got a couple of more. Um, Brandon, what do you have? Uh, I, I don't know. One of the commentators at the very end of the West Ham match says, Richmond showed us a side of themselves we've never seen before. They played angry, dirty, and ugly, which are also the name of Zava's three youngest Zava's kids. Youngest kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I Excellent. I love that. Do you have any more, Brandon, or, or what about you? Uh, just Well, I had just one, and it's not really a line. It's a line reading, and it's the way Hannah Waddingham says, have fun. Yes. <laughs> that whole scene is so awkward, man. Oh, my God. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> I've only got one more, Craig, but I think it's the big one. So, uh, Yeah, I've got a couple more. I think I know which one you're saying, so let me say a couple of mine. Um, I love that Ted finally admits to why he does all the puns. He says, this is when he's in bed uh, talking to Sassy. He says, it's tough sometimes. I just see him there and I got to take a swing at him. And then you stole my one earlier, which is what he was saying to uh, Michelle. And Ted says, I feel like not saying it wouldn't be right thing either. That's after he says uh, that saying it might've been the wrong thing. Um, But I bet I know what your last Tedism is. If not, then certainly I'm going to follow up with it. Well, I mean, I think it's the most quotable one and the uh, most true one of everything, because when Rebecca does Oklahoma him, he says back to her in pure pun fashion, worthy of my wife, I'm a work in progress. 
Excellent I'm work in progress. I, I love that Oklahoma callback. It just shows the relationship between Ted and Rebecca and um, it's going to have people I love talking. This, this episode, whole episode, this whole episode this, is amazing. This episode is going to have people talking out there. You know, last week we got a lot of vintage Ted Lasso. This week we got a lot of character growth and development. And that's exactly what this show does. It's It just kind of weaves in and out of these episodes. It, it really never lets you know which direction it's going to be going and subverts all those expectations all along the way. So this has just been a lot of fun and it's been great to have you back on the show for of course yeah, your second time. Brandon. This your was second great. time. Yes, yes, yes. Let's hopefully uh hopefully people remember me. Yes. Uh, who, <laughs> but yeah, who no, thank you so Brandon. much. No, no, thank you so much. Is no, it finally time for me to tell our audience that I, I did a first take of this and I said it was your <laughs> first episode, and then you both gave me ample amount of hell you know, for it. And so it could have just um, been so, our fun little inside joke that people would have done there, but no, let's pull the, let's pull that curtain I, I bring, back, man. I, I like to bring everybody inside, everybody inside. No, uh, inside pay no attention sure. to that it's, bad memory demand behind. It's the our, curtain. you know, yeah, uh, we we cross pollinate on so many different shows. I don't blame you for forgetting. This I is did true. This, one. this is true. <laughs> but it it has been great getting to, to talk with you. I am excited to see where all this goes because, as I mentioned, uh, this is the most that you and I have seen, Jeremy. We haven't seen anything moving forward. So episode five onward, we're going to get one week at a time. I don't know how we're going to be able to do it now. We no. were so uh, <laughs> we were so selfish uh, when we got these first four episodes, right? What can I say? It's a lonely life reviewing things before they come out to the general public. Um, no, but um, it, it is a lot of fun, though. But I like that they do that for us because, you know, I honestly want to relish this as much as possible. Um, you know, and I think that this season so far has hit all the right beats. Um, and they've got eight episodes left here to, to really drive this and drive this bus home. And, uh, I think they're going to do it because there's a lot of, a lot of p- plate spinning, but they're all interesting. So keep it up eight guys. More, eight more episodes left. That is just wild. So. Uh, yeah, so this is all great. As we mentioned earlier, Brandon, you can go and find him on Front Row Classics. Go and check out all of his shows and also be looking on that Front Row Network feed as well as we're going to establish our own feed. I'll definitely make sure to post it uh, in PBBFRN on Twitter and then also on the Peanut Butter and Biscuits Facebook page as well that we are going to be launching Cinematic Horizons, our look at Steven Spielberg's filmography. It's going to be really fun, a completely different kind of show, but I'm excited to be able to do that journey with you as well, Brandon. And thank Thanks so much for coming on today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Man, we have had so many people jump on the Peanut Butter and Biscuits uh, Facebook page. There's a lot of great conversation going on in there. So what are you waiting for, person who hasn't? Come on. (laughs) Jump in there. uh, And so we can say hi to you and we can interact with you because we absolutely love doing that. I got a a nice Julie Andrews conversation started. (laughs) You did. You did. did. I liked it. Hey, one more call out before we get going, going, but um, our good friend Patrick Russell at Reverie Apparel is making some awesome shirts uh, for the season and everything. His shirts are amazing. Go and find them, Reverie Apparel on Facebook. You will not regret ordering any shirts from our good friend Patrick. They are so soft uh, and so, so comfortable. Um, but yeah, I believe it's Reverie Apparel or follow the Reverie is also uh, his website as well. So go and check all of that out. He's got a Zaba inspired one. He has a PB&B one if you'd like that as well. So uh, we love you, Patrick. And thanks for doing all that good work. Holy moly, what an episode. Uh, any final thoughts before we get out of here, Jeremy? No, I'm I'm just in love with this show and with all of you uh, beautiful listeners out there. And I guess Brandon and Craig too. So um, yeah. All right. <laughs> so... For Peanut Butter and Biscuits, I am Craig. I'm Jeremy. I'm Brandon. And as always, 
be a goldfish. goldfish. Come on, Brandon, say it. Say it. Say it. Be a goldfish. Yeah. There we go. There it is. We didn't rehearse this. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Front Row Network, a proud Community Voices member of National Public Radio Illinois. For more from the Front Row Network, including our articles or our other dozens of shows, visit thefrontrownetwork.com or nprillinois.org slash programs slash network. You can also find us on social media by searching for the Front Row Network on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Front Row Reviews with a Z.